do 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 Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. This comes to us from Jordan Maywood. Next up, we have Jordan. He's going to tell a joke. We got an answer for Jordan Maywood. Yes, Wood May. Hello, this is Penn Gillette. The possibility exists that if I were to actually listen to the Liberal Cube podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I could potentially enjoy it. Eh, I'll ring an endorsement, I guess. Potentially enjoy this episode, which will start after the other half of my magical comedy duo, Teller, gives us a countdown. Take it away, Teller. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical liberal... Mm. Liberal-cubriculicularless. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the lackadaisical liberal-cubriculist. Ha-ha! Yes. We did it. We did it. What else did we do today? I don't know. I'm not you. But one thing I can tell you is that you're going to listen to a man, me, push a button that will start a series of five five-minute timers. Um... That's basically what this is. During the course of those timers running, I'll talk about things like movie, TV, book, game, internet, clean up conversation, post credits, wink, wink, say no more, say no more, nudge, nudge. Oh boy. If you're unfamiliar with the show, you've probably turned it off. If you are familiar, you will know. I pour forth all the media I consume into this thing so that it doesn't sit in the dusty attic of my brain and slowly drive ending on the day, I guess. Earlier on today, technically it's earlier on today, even though it was seconds ago. Oh my god, I, this is going to be a good one. I can really feel it in my boners. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rough you some things. Today's movie monologue sponsor is Lions and Wolves and Andy Kindler style third things. Oh my. Movie the first is a little film from 2018 called Lionheart. Ah. Running a company can be challenging, especially if you are a female in a male-dominated industry looking to prove her worth. Uh, oh shoot. <laughs> Adize? I forget how they pronounced it in the movie. And I'm notoriously bad with names. Oh, you know what I haven't brought up in a long, long time? And I don't know why this hasn't come up. Maybe it's because I've learned to avoid it. The name curse. The dreaded name curse that I that has been put upon me by a gypsy woman. While driving along one day, receiving a blowjob, I ran over a man. And said man's wife was a gypsy who cursed me with the inability to remember names. The name curse. So, uh, Adize... Uh, sets up to challenge, sets up, steps up, oh fuck, steps up to the challenge, like reading things, uh, when her father is forced to step back to, due to illness. Oh my god, people, what is going on? Uh, so this is a uh, Nigerian film uh, available on Netflix, uh, created by the good people over at Netflix, I do believe. Uh, watched it uh, on the recommendation. Uh, of a friend at work who is from said country, Nigeria. 
Uh, and I gotta say, I really did enjoy it. Uh, I think just rating-wise, I'll go right off the bat. I don't know if I would go four out of five, but a, but a very, very solid three if you're unfamiliar with my rating scale. Uh, three is enjoyed while watching, but probably wouldn't watch again, and I think that falls into this category. Um, I think it's similar to other movies I've seen in that uh, there's a business of some sort that is uh, in dire trouble and things need to happen in order to save it. And it, it sort of goes between comedy and drama throughout. Uh, and uh, for that reason, it's very, very good. Yeah, the first Nigerian movie I ever watched, and I gotta say, after watching it, I would watch more. So, there. Uh, movie the second, Hold the Dark. Uh, hold for Mr. Dark, please. After the deaths of three children suspected to be killed by wolves, uh, writer Russell Core is hired by the parents of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. Sounds not straightforward necessarily, but that does not take into consideration some of the fucking weird shit that goes on in this movie, man. It's one of those ones, oh, and, and this is something I like, so uh, why don't I give my rating? Uh, I'd probably go four, maybe even some five points. Um, it's one of those movies where it sort of leaves it up to you a little bit to decide if there is, like, uh, I'll just say, like, mysticism going on. So, like, the mother of this uh, missing child, quote-unquote, um, uh, you, you kind of think maybe she's possessed by a wolf demon? Yeah? <laughs> like, the possibility of that does exist. Uh, this is one of the bloodiest movies I've seen in a very, very long time. Uh, there's a big shootout in particular between... Uh, one guy with a giant gun and a sort of a town full of police and I gotta say the gun does most of the killing in that fucking crazy scene uh yeah it was a very very interesting movie let's say let's say and I did say uh okay moving on to Hotel Artemis uh yeah I like movies like this uh where there's like sort of a cast of badasses and you sort of see how they interact with one another just sort of period uh set in riot torn near future los angeles hotel artemis follows the nurse the nurse hello nurse who runs a secret members only emergency room for criminals uh, uh yeah so that's the premise basically you take a bunch of uh, bass criminal types killers thieves and murderers put them all in a place where they can't safely leave and uh, see what sort of shit explodes from there and uh, interesting shit does i will say rating wise i think i go four um you know what i go four and then five because it's got jeff goldblum in it haha convoluted rating also got jenny slade in there uh, i love her zachary quinto jody foster uh, some uh, Dave Batista, yeah, he's, he's shown up in more and more as just sort of an actor, and he's, he's uh, I find, good in everything I've seen him in so far. Charlie in there for a little comic relief. Yeah, uh, good, violent-y, action-y, interesting -y, I recommend. Shit, ran out of time for the last one. Uh, Throw Mama from the Train from 1987. Still holds up pretty good. Uh, I go like a four. Television talk. 
today's television talk sponsor is Muds Cloning Incorporated. Thank you for that sponsorship. Okay, I got a little bit of an interesting one here. Uh, I watched the, uh, what are they called? Short Treks. Short Treks, that's T-R-E-K-S, are uh, shorts, uh, short videos, what are we, like 10, 15 minutes long, somewhere in that neighborhood, that uh, CBS created between seasons for uh, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, I gotta say, uh, and I think that'll be next episode, uh, I watched the first uh, episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery, and that's all I'm gonna say for now. I'll talk about it next episode. Uh, but in between seasons, and I didn't know this existed until like, like days before the second episode came out so I sort of watched them all at once but uh, I think they sort of spread them out in order to keep people interested in this uh, this new Star Trek universe although it's an existing universe uh, uh, that's always a little money and who really cares uh, yeah so we've got uh, uh, four separate ones uh, Runaway, Calypso and The Escape Artist that's uh, the Escape Artist, which uh, stars uh, Rain Wilson, who plays Harry Mudd in this incarnation of Star Trek, uh, was my favorite because I love comedy mixed in with my Star Trek. My, my, my Star Trek. Uh, and he is such a good choice to play Harry Mudd that it, it, it's like eerily gusting. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, 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 I have to give that one away. So basically, uh, it starts off with, like, he's captured. Uh, because there's a bounty on his head because, he, well, he's an asshole. <laughs> uh, so uh, the bounty hunter uh, takes them in for uh, the reward, as you do if you're a bounty hunter, uh, and hands them in to the Federation, and the Federation's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, and then sort of takes uh, the bounty hunter in this, apparently... What Mr. Mud is doing is cloning himself, uh, and then uh, I guess there's there's sort of poor clones or, or robots or something like that. Yeah, the clone is not accurate. I think they're more robot-y. And then he is um, turning uh, these clones into these bounty hunters for rewards. So he's basically selling versions of himself to get rewards. Uh, so it actually sort of pays for him to be more of an asshole. Because then his bounty goes up and he can sell more of himself. It's, it's a vicious circle. Uh, the other reason I love that is because uh, it makes you sort of think of that episode in the original series, of course, where there uh, there is all those uh, robots. Uh, the robot clone people things. I forget that episode. The one where at, at the end of that... Ooh, I'll spoil that as well. As long as I'm spoiling Harry Mudd things. The one at the end where... <laughs> The, uh, the, the crew of the Enterprise really fucks with him by uh, getting rid of all his clones except for the one of his wife, his, his mean, nagging wife. Ooh, I wonder if she'll end up in this at some point. Yeah, they, they need like a real mean, nasty girl to, to, to play his wife. I wonder who, who that could be. Casting call for that. Ooh, that is a really good question. Okay, anyways, uh, Runaway. Uh, so is her mother, Tilly. Captures. Oh yeah, so that was the one with Tilly. Tilly, who I love, uh, and she had a, a lots of good stuff going on for her uh, episode of Sin Two. Uh, oh yeah, that one was interesting because it had sort of nothing to do with the current crew. Uh, it was the USS Discovery was sort of drifting in space for thousands of years. Uh, so I wonder if we'll ever find out how that happened, uh, because the crew wasn't there. It was just sort of the ship. 
drifting in space, no one aboard, and it had been sort of told to stay there. And it had, over the thousand years, sort of developed a artificial intelligence, which was uh, pretty cool. And the brightest star went with uh, Saru, uh, and sort of his came from that sort of Bowski's Rubber Company. A recap of my um, latest D&D escapade, Dungeons and Dragons, if you prefer. Uh, this is from uh, Session 13. Uh, and, uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and read it. If you haven't heard the previous ones, well, they're in the back catalog. You can find them, I'm sure. Just look for the, the phrase D&D Recap, and you will see just what I'm talking about, so you can follow along for yourself. Capiche? <laughs> Excuse me. This is, uh, Session 13, A Return to Asimovville. Session 13, A Return to Asimovville. Session 13, A Return to Asimovville. The jumble of explosives, Matt and Grim Miles, found themselves on the outskirts of the city of Asimovville. Oh yeah, uh, two of my players couldn't make it, so uh, it was just me running for two, and uh, I think it went well. Uh, the rest of the team, presumably trapped in Anastasia's magic stick, either had... Either that, or they had been crushed to death by into gooey paste on the other side of the bubble. A bubble which has some very odd properties, it turns out, in that those inside cannot only not see it, but they do not even know of its existence, which makes sense as it does not seem to even exist from the inside. On top of that, despite the fact that when they entered the bubble it was early on a sunny morning, now, as Grimm and Valier not so gracefully land, they find themselves amidst the afternoon of a rainy, thundery day. Odd. Uh, Valier and Grimm make the decision that since their last journey ended atop the mayoral tower at the center of town, it is likely place to start their investigation into what is going on in this strange city. En route, a rubber salesman named Tobolowski mistakes Grimm for a former acquaintance by the name of Phil Connors. Hint number one. Uh, but other than that, nothing distracts them from their goal. Not even the hike up 100 flights of stairs as the town no longer has electricity for the elevator, thanks to them. Uh, atop the tower is a giant clock, and it seems that with the mayor no longer there, an evil scientist by the name of Frank Stein has moved in and set up shop. Uh, using his knowledge of death and time manipulation, has, he has used the remnants of the for, former mayor's work to create a hybrid of undead and robot that is truly terrifying. Uh, oh, yeah, here I have a little note for one of the players who couldn't make it. Uh, because I sort of tried to uh, uh, tie in. Had Theranam not been sticked, he would have recognized Frank Stein as the main advisor to King Forehand. Uh, while the king was corrupted by the grand relics, this thing was always at his side, whispering evil deeds. Uh, I was picturing sort of like a worm tongue type. Um, evil deeds that took no consideration of anything other than the accrual of power. Uh, when Theranam helped cleanse this realm and return the kingdom to good, this, through his sacrifice, Frank's evil was no longer tolerated, and he must have fled, spending the intervening years trying once more to build up a power base. A power base that he found when the rest of the team defeated the former mayor. So that was just a little uh, interconnected backstory there. Uh, because uh, if you remember from last uh, recap, 
the only way the this team could penetrate the barrier where no one else could was because they were uh, they had to do with the cause of the barrier, the bubble. Anyways, uh, a fight ensure a fight ensues and does not seem to be going very well, especially when Valier is banished to a pocket dimension. But they are quote unquote saved at precisely ten oh four when lightning strikes the clock tire that sets off an explosion unlike any that has ever happened unlike any that has ever happened in the history of the realms a combination of electricity necromancy imbalance randomness and time meant that valier and grim somehow some way found themselves flying through the air at the precise point in time where they entered the bubble that at least from the outside surrounds asimovville uh, some quick invest investigating and a brief chat with Mr. Tobolowski, who did not remember them because to him they had not yet met, confirmed their suspicions that they seemed to be trapped in some sort of time loop, where only they know what is happening. <clears throat> Interesting. Oh, and at uh, 10.04, when it resets, is the same time that the lightning struck the clock tower in Back to the Future, just FYI. Huh? That's detail there. Uh, okay, this reset is seemingly not without its rules, as things they had on their person, Tobolowski's business card, seem to be still with them as they do, uh, as they do when they seem to be with them. And they do have that refreshed feeling one gets from a non a long night's sleep uh so their spells and hp is back to full uh but there's also some sort of drain as either their minds or bodies or both seemingly cannot easily handle this transition uh 1d2 off their max hp for the first reset 1d3 off the second 1d4 off the third and uh, we actually made it up to 1d10 so they were literally rolling a 1d10 and then taking that number off their max hp uh, by the end of it so as you can imagine one of uh, uh valier is a mage so he was uh getting a little hurt there uh, anyways uh going forward what ensues is a spot-by-spot -spot search of the city with occasional resets as they waste time on things like risotto <laughs> that was good and uh i did sort of uh wing that part so i'm a little proud of it they were in a uh in like a restaurant so i asked them uh, what did they want uh, and told them they had the choice of the sliders or the risotto risotto being a notoriously uh, a dish that takes a notoriously long time to cook and uh, when time is of the essence or else they reset and uh, and Valier picked risotto uh, I sort of put the oh yeah I created like a fake clock where I could sort of manipulate the the, the arms of it so when he picked risotto I like moved the, the clock forward like an hour uh, anyways uh, what they do well though is gather more and more information each time so that eventually a plan forms uh, gonna need a classic recap list since things get complicated okay yeah one moxie's brothel so uh these are basically just lists of the locations that i had within the city that they could visit to sort of do certain things uh one moxie's brothel uh a little payoff a little of the old slap and tickle garners the boys the info that the default leader of this town 
since the former mayor's disappearance is none other than Wallace, the same Wallace who they had free, freed from the torture chamber the last time they were in town. Uh, they also learned of some of Wallace's uh, proclivity, like uh, those for what appear to be a lovely wear pig lass. <laughs> uh, Valier did not get one of the fantasy STDs that I had planned, which is a shame. Uh, two, Mogwai's Trinkets. A shop filled with mostly garbage means that Valier, by the end of this sequence, has multiple sets of dirty shirts and half-eaten plates of food. Uh, they also learn that the shopkeeper has a small, cute, pleasantly humming creature that is not for sale. Uh, perhaps he would exchange it for a Ming vase? Question mark. Uh, three, Minnie's China Shop. Like a minotaur in a china shop, because that is exactly what it is. She is very protective of her merchandise, particularly a 10,000 gold piece priceless, priceless Ming vase. As you can imagine, with so much delicate china so precariously arranged, breakages, breakages are worrisome. Um, if only she had the hair of a cobalt queen, which has many properties, chief of which is the mending of broken china. Uh, four, the timekeeper. Tis I, the timekeeper. Uh, the only person in town who seems to at least feel like something is amiss with time. Surely he will be pivotal. Uh, the timekeeper if you are unfamiliar, uh, is a character from the uh, podcast Comedy Bang Bang, and I very rarely do voices or personalities, per se, uh, for NPCs, which is a, a feeling of mine, I will admit, but uh, for the Timekeeper, I did, because there was one there, and I knew no one would know who he was, so he became probably my favorite NPC so far. Uh, not probably, uh, definitely my favorite NPC so far. The Timekeeper. Uh... Aldez Archery, number five. Aldez Archery. Can you hit the target ten times out of ten to win the grand prize? A prize Wallace has been trying to win for a long time? Yes, Grim can, with the help of the use of inspiration for his one miss. Yeah, that was uh, like pretty close, because he needed to hit it ten times out of ten. Uh, and he missed once, but then uh, I let him re-roll because he used one of his uh, inspirations. Or he used his inspiration to re-roll. Uh, number six, Malone's Bar. Uh, with the lawful robots deactivated, the ruffians of Asimoville took over once more, and Wallace has used this bar as a sort of base of operations. The bartender was a former pitcher for the Red Sox, which has no bearing on any of this. <laughs> uh, number seven, City Sewers. Uh, revisiting the Cobalt Queen became necessary for their final plan. She will help Valier and Grimm if the kobolds are given a place to live on the surface. Also, she would be happy to give the team a lock of her hair, but kobold hair can only be cut by very rare, by a very rare, small, cute creature known to pleasantly hum. Mm. Uh, eight, Tobolowski rubber. Uh, in very advanced rock, paper, scissors, rubber beats lightning, so it is, it is pivotal to get Tobolowski's help. Uh, he readily agrees to help and can easily have completed suits of rubber made for them in about a week. Oh. 
the process of rubber production can be much sped up, but the oil he needs to do so is produced by the cobalts. So Valier and Grimm will somehow have to convince the cobalt queen to up production. It's mostly all connected people. Uh, all the pieces finally in place, multiple mouths opening wide in surprise. <laughs> uh, it eventually worked out so well that the amount of rubber Tobolowski produced was so much that he was able to use vast quantities of it for a secret side project he has codenamed Year Good. Uh, basically a blimp filled with cobalt farts. Uh, after a few false starts and death, deaths slash resets, uh, Valier and Grimm manage to enact a plan that cannot help but stop the lightning from hitting the clock tower and stop this cycle that is slowly killing them, thereby freeing the city from its bubble. The plan, if you can believe it, one, use Tobolowski's Year Good Blimp to fly above the 100-story clock tower. Two, Deploy a rubber sheath over the decidedly phallic tower using a team of cobalts to roll it down the quote-unquote shaft of the tower. Three, block the lightning. Four, go into the tower and defeat once and for all Frank Stein. The plan went well. The plan went off with very few hitches, and Valier and Grimm, in the end, do manage to help the timekeeper save the day. Loot, home to Bureau of Balance, repeat, but not repeat, repeat, if you know what I mean. Folks, uh, yeah, <laughs> reading these recaps does make for a long episode, but uh, they're fun, so I do it anyways. Uh, also, I'm going to take one moment to brag, uh, which I never ever do on this podcast, and that sounded like I was saying that sarcastic, but I, I actually never do in real life or on the podcast. I am not braggadocious. Uh, but I think I might be good at DMing, and the one reason I'm thinking that is because uh, I had those eight locations. Rubber, sewers, bar, uh, timekeeper, china, trinkets, and Moxie's brothel. So I, I had those uh, those locations not planned. Well, I, I had planned what could happen into what could happen at them, but what I did not have planned is the interconnectedness. Like, for example, that uh, uh, the, uh, the the minotaur who worked at the China needed cobalt queen hair in order to fix China. Like, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that at the archery place. Uh, you could win that. Uh, I had a prize, but it, it sort of worked out that I changed it uh, at the last second, that the prize was something that the uh, Wallace would want. So I didn't have the sort of connectedness where you had to sort of complete something at each in order to win. And, and that was all spur of the moment on the fly. Uh, and I think if I had a planet, I, I could have had a little more logic than Cobalt Queen Hair uh, is used to fix... Um, <laughs> is used to fix whatchamacallit, uh, China, kind of dumb, but but the fact that I did it spur the moment and the sort of logic to it, I have pride of. Game Gabin. Today's Game Gabin sponsor is Sweets for the Sweets. Okay, got two kind of sort of, kind of sort of different ones. Normally Game Gabin, 90% of the time, uh, will be video games, but uh, I decided to throw two different things in here because I'm still Fallout 76-ing. Yes. Yes, leave me alone. In fact, as soon as I'm done this, uh, my plan is to uh, hop in and get my first nuke off. So, yay. Yay that. 
Uh, okay, so item the first, Nailed It, Holiday. Uh, Nailed It is a show that is Chopped-like, uh, starring Nicole Byer, who I love. Um, never have I seen her in anything that I haven't thoroughly enjoyed her in, or heard her in, in the case of podcast. Uh, this included, uh, the, the only reason I don't watch every single episode is because this sort of show I, I, I'm kind of a little soured on. Um, just the missus and I watched like every episode of Chop practically and they were always sort of the same. And, and when you watch, you know, dozens and dozens of this type of show, uh, hard to uh, hop back in and have enjoyment again, let's say, but, but, uh, I kept hearing about the Jason Manzukas episode. And if you are a fan of him and I am. Hey, young man. Uh, I couldn't help but check it out, and I'm glad I did because it was a little slice of uh, fuckingness. Uh, they uh, really sort of play well off one another. Uh, I, I feel like the outtakes for that, and there's like the odd little taste of the behind. Like uh, I think one of like uh, Jason is like pointing out that one of the cameraman, <laughs> he's one of the cameramen is like laughing so hard. Uh, that Jason's like, you're gonna get fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the show itself, The Game, which is why I'm putting it in Game Gabin, uh, is people cook things, uh, bake things. Uh, so you'll be given an example of a, usually like a really intricate cake, let's say. And then these people, who are not professional bakers, and quite often, honestly, are not even amateur bakers, uh, will have to try to uh, replicate whatever uh, to hilariously bad results most of the time. So it's a good twist on it. And uh, maybe I will talk to the missus because she would like this sort of show. Maybe we could watch it together. I don't know. We'll play it by beard that Jason Manzuka says. Ha. Ah. Alright, uh, next is... Oh, shit, what did I do? Uh, a board game, yeah. Something I, I never bring back as well. Uh, a board game? I don't think I've ever brought back a board game on a Game Gavin, but why the hell not? Uh, so uh, this is actually, from my perspective, quite a while ago I played it, um, but uh, thought I would jam it in here. Uh, it is called The Game of Life, colon, Quarter Life Crisis. Ah, now with crippling debt. Yes, now with crippling debt is not a joke I made. No, no, no. It is the actual tagline for this on the box, which is a little depressing. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what it's like in other places, but uh, I live in Ontario, and they put a new uh, rule for house buying, and, and I guess this was to prevent, you know, market crashes and stuff, and there's probably logic behind it. Uh, they, they put a new rule that, uh, f like, first-time buyers of houses, uh, or I guess any buyers of houses, uh, have to have a, a deposit that, like, when, when, when I bought, when the missus and I bought our first house, I think you had to have, like, a 10% or something like that, but it's gone up to, like, some numbers here, because I'm not good with numbers or math or finance, uh, but, but now the, the deposit you need is something like 20, 25%, uh, and for... Uh, a young couple to save up to buy a house uh, now to have that deposit is not easy. It is very, very difficult. And uh, people of a certain age are having uh, great difficulties. The, the, the potential for a young couple to buy a house is very, very tough. So uh, that's what this game is making fun of. <laughs> uh, yeah, the board game itself, it's uh, the game of life. 
Uh, it's always very, very similar. You're going around a board, you're picking cards, you're uh, gaining or losing money. Uh, this is not the best version of the game of Life I've Had. I think I'd rather play the original. Uh, it does, it does have that thing where, uh, and the missus and I have played one before. She, she loves the game of life and, uh, various incarnations. So we played this with, uh, some friends. Uh, it, it does have that idea where you can decide which routes you want to go, um, on the board, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, and I forget who won. I don't, I don't think I won this. Yeah, that's too bad. Too bad. for that sponsorship Ooh. item the first funny or dies 2019 rose bowl parade with cord and trish what the hell is this thing what is it uh yeah oh shit i didn't uh, put a link normally i put a link um so cord uh is uh, uh portrayed let's say by will ferrell and trish is uh, molly shannon molly shannon yeah yeah oh, okay I i'm bad with names but i remembered that oh maybe the mate the name curse is being lifted ah. uh yeah so i think this is the second one or the third one where they've done it uh where they're sort of and i don't want to you know uh, blow up their spot as the kids might say i think maybe that makes sense i don't know i'm not a kid uh they pretend to be people who have uh sort of uh, announced at the uh, or spectated what do they call that i, I don't even know the, where they go to the rose pa parade and like sit there and say things about the floats <laughs> whatever job that is called uh they pretend they've been doing it for like 30 years and in actuality they've only done it a few and they're playing these sort of ridiculous characters and I've never wanted to watch the Rose Bowl Parade. I've never seen more than 30 seconds of it at any given time. But I watched the whole two plus hours of it <laughs> just to see them talking. Now, to be fair, I did it while I was uh, working. So I could sort of uh, only half pay attention. And, and it's almost like podcasts where uh, you don't necessarily need the visuals to hear people talk ridiculous things about floats passing by, but, uh, you know, check it out. Check it out. The, I think the best part is it, uh, of it is that people thought it was real, uh, and that amuses me to no end. Uh, okay, moving on to item the second, Brian Prasane's Nerd Poker Campaign 1 Completion. Yes, they did it. They did it. 47 episodes, and they did it uh dan telford dm uh he does a fine job uh, made an interesting story throughout uh, you've got mage towers you got a, a trip to the moon you've got evil gods you got all sorts of cool things you want in there I'm very excited to see uh what happens going forward i, I love the fact that they're, they're going to be re-rolling new characters uh the other thing i like is that he uh, wanted new characters so that the story could be separate from the ones that have happened so far, which I think is smart. Uh, and check them out. Uh, they have a Patreon too. Uh, love Nerd Poker. I, I, I think, in uh, I've mentioned this before, I've tried to listen to a whole handful of uh, people playing D&D &D online, and uh, the ones that I like the most are ones that have comedy 
And if it is a 100% role play, like they're pretending there's no dice or no numbers or spells, I, I, I feel like I, I don't like those ones either. Like I, like I like this one where he'll say like, uh, okay, I rolled a, a 20 to hit this guy. And then they'll say, like, like I know, uh, I, I like to know the actual D&D side of things on top of the story side of things, I guess. Uh, okay, uh, this past weekend with host Theo Vaughn is item the third. Yeah, a new podcast I started listening to. Uh, primarily because uh, Theo Vaughn, freaking everywhere I turn, I've seen this guy lately, uh, and, and seemingly comedian's great affection for this dude uh, and his uh, unique brand of comedy, unique in that he's a bit of a weirdo. And I love a weirdo, so I think developing a love for Theo Vaughn, yes, I am. Uh, yeah, uh, he reminds me of a, a friend uh, I have IRL uh, named Pete. Uh, who, who just will be the odd crazy non sequitur that will somehow be very, very funny. Uh, and he seems to excel at that. Uh, Theo Vaughn, check out his podcast. Last but not least, another new podcast. Jesus Christ. Uh, this might get weird with Grace Helbig and Mamrie Hart. Yeah. I uh, love Grace Helbig. I uh, love Mamrie Hart. Uh, they quite often do things together. So when I saw they had a, a new podcast, I think they're like 13 episodes in or something like that. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I just realized of that. There are 13 episodes in probably, I don't know, their first episode, like, excuse me, likely had more, uh, uh, downloads than all 475 of my episodes. Does that make me bitter? Yes. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It honestly doesn't. Uh, uh, but uh, so far, the format, if there is one, seems just to be uh, them sitting down shooting the shit, which, uh, in, in a sort of never-not-funny style, tends to be some of my favorite podcasts. Just people sit down shooting the shit, as I'm doing here. Folks, it's nice to be nice to the nice. Done and done. And I mean done. Done and done. I like Ron. This is the end of the show. A sincere thank you for listening. Time to plug some things and I do not mean buts. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow Jordan underscore Maywood on Twitter. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Live long and prosper Do 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 do
Yes, just a brief, just a brief little conversation cleanup. Uh, and I don't really even know why I wanted to throw this in, but uh, I figured I would. Uh, it is a conversation cleanup, literally, about a cleanup. Hmm. Uh, recently, and every once in a while, the mood will strike. Uh, I, I think either has to do with or influenced by or they're just connected in some way the fact that i went to school to be a librarian the fact that i like a place for everything and then everything in its place uh the fact that uh yeah i'm just a freakishly organized uh, don't like things out of order person every once in a while the mood will strike where i will just go on a fucking binge of organization uh so uh, a couple weeks ago it was the kitchen where I basically literally took everything out of every single cabinet, cupboard, everywhere, uh, took things that I either hadn't seen in like a year, uh, that no one's used, and I've sort of put them in the box. Now, the missus doesn't know I did that. <laughs> so far, she hasn't noticed. To be fair, uh, what I decided I would do, uh, normally, if it was just me, I would just chuck that stuff right out. But what I did is put it all in a box and put that box in the basement. And then after a year, if she still hasn't noticed, then I'll throw it out. Uh, the fact that she doesn't listen to this podcast means <laughs> that I can say these things with impunity. Uh, and, and then um, even more on, on a much larger scale, uh, I did the basement, um, which we had a lot of shit in. Uh, that was also not just because I was sort of in the mood to do it, but also because we got the floor painted. Uh, we just have like a, a unfinished basement, you know, concrete floor. Uh, and if you've ever had one of those uh, in, in sort of a newer home, um, they're very, very dusty. Like you couldn't go down there. Uh, if you went down there in your socks or your bare feet, you'd come up and they'd just be covered in dust like you had to wear shoes. So uh, one way around that uh, is you paint the floor. Yeah, there you go. See, you learn something new every day. Uh, so in order to accommodate that, I had to sort of move everything from one side and then paint that side. Then you move everything back and then paint the other side. So it sort of went hand in hand with my organization. The other thing, uh, one sort of funny thing is that was uh, I had an old uh, Ikea black couch uh, from back in the old house that really didn't fit anywhere. So what I did was uh, I jammed it under the stairs uh, in the basement and it barely fit. Like it took me a while to get it in there. Uh, and then sort of like made a little fort for my nieces and nephews, which they went into one time. <laughs> to be fair, they did seem to like it, but, uh, they did go into it one time, uh, you know, four years ago. So I decided, uh, as part of this new, uh, organization and storage, I was going to get it out of there. And it was impossible to get out unless unless like me you have a reciprocating saw and uh, cut it in half yes uh have you ever felt the joy of cutting a couch in half with a reciprocating saw because it's something that everyone should feel okay so this is all sort of a, a prelude to uh upcoming uh television talk I, I don't know when it'll be uh which episode it'll be in but uh the missus and i are watching tidying up with mary kondo as millions probably billions across the globe are now doing on netflix uh it's a great show i uh, love that girl i want i want her to move in uh and i could just like pull her out and be like hello <laughs> uh yeah 
weird.